Hello, everyone. This is Julie Roxanne. Alistair is in the mountains as I record this. And as you may have heard, we are taking a little break over the summer, but we are continuing to post, um, reposting older episodes that I love and that I've chosen to, uh, repost for you guys. And today we are listening to episode 10. It's crazy to think that we were once at episode 10 that came out on January 30th, 2019. And this episode is called Making Space for Depression. Um, the reason I chose it is because I remember it being a very I don't know, insightful conversation. Uh, a lot of people at that time told us that they, they resonated with the, the content and we had just gotten engaged and, and in the weeks that followed, Alistair went through a little bit of a bout of depression and, and we ended up, that was kind of an impromptu conversation. We sat down to record something else and we ended up talking about the importance of making space for depression. And, um, apparently Alistair, uh, makes kind of comparisons between depression and an acid trip, which I think is a, is an interesting foretelling of what our life is now. So yeah, without further ado, uh, episode 10. She's Julie Roxanne. And he's Alistair. And, and this, this is, is Far Out. Out. A podcast about stepping off the beaten path and learning to live from our center. You laughed at the laugh of like, why laugh? There's nothing has meaning. <laughs> I do think there, it's an aspect of love that I experience a lot with you and with my family, and I really appreciate, which is that I'm allowed to be. Because you have to lose, you have to lose something to change. It's kind of duh, yeah. but it's. You have to let something die. Man, I wonder if anyone else would think of their ba- think of being in a caravan by themselves in the woods for a week as a bachelorette party. If you've never gone through a tunnel before and you go into a tunnel, it just feels like a cave, like a black pit, you know? not a yogi yet where I can just welcome and be like, oh yeah, depression, just come on in, let's, let's have tea. I'm not there. <laughs> so Julie Roxanne, we have two new reviews. Yes. Actually, we have more than two new reviews because we have nine total reviews. Wow, that's huge. Yeah. There's been a few anonymous reviewers, so thank you. Yes. Uh, but we have two that, that left names, and uh, they left pretty nice reviews. Nice! Would you read the first one? Yes! Oh, and I'm more than excited to read this one, because uh, this one is from Gapier Debbie. The title of the review is Intelligent and Quirky. Here's the review. I love this podcast. So intelligent and so quirky. Who would have thought that two 20-something living in a trailer in remote southwest France could be so much fun? Whether they're talking about their engagement or preparing for a psychedelic retreat, it's compelling. Aww. Aww. And Debbie's kind of a, uh, a special person for you, isn't she? Yeah, Debbie is actually my first client. I'm producing her podcast. It's called Gap Year for adults, and we'll link it in the show notes below. So yeah, I have a pretty special relationship with her. Yeah, and it's been pretty amazing because over the last three weeks... 
you've started uh, editing other people's podcasts. Yeah. And you now have four clients, and you interviewed with a fifth. Yes. Within three weeks. Yeah, that's... It's come from out of nowhere. Yeah, it's... It's been amazing. It's amazing. I feel extremely grateful and so excited too. It's just, I love it. I love it. And more than I thought. I could love it. I mean, it's exciting. My only requirement is that you don't start sending me a bill for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try. All right. We'll see how things go. All right. <laughs> Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Debbie. And we have one other review. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this one, I think this review is for our engagement episode. Uh-huh. And says... Congratulations. Very engaging episode. I didn't even notice the pun. <laughs> Capital G-O-D, or God. And uh, so, thanks, Dad. Dad likes to go by... <laughs> well, if you didn't know it was Dad from the, the Dad pun... Uh, <laughs> But Dad likes to go. He signs off his uh, emails as as God in all capitals, and that stands for uh, Good Old Dad. Uh, I think uh, Grandpa did that too, so uh, I think he gets a kick out of it. But thank you, Dad. Thank That's you, Bert. Nice. Hi, everyone. Hey, yeah. In this week's episode, we have something kind of special and impromptu. We sat down to talk about. The uncertainty of 2019. And Alistair, you talked about something that has been happening to you since the beginning of the year. Yeah, I've been going through a bit of a funk over the last three weeks. And so while we planned on sitting down to talk a little bit about actually what we're thinking around 2019 and some of the ideas, we ended up getting into a kind of deep conversation about depression, working through it, and how to make space for one another when you're in a relationship with someone who is struggling with something. So it was a good conversation, so we decided not to cut it short. And this episode is about that. And next week, we'll talk about 2019. Yeah, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Well, hello, everyone. Hey there. And hello, Alistair. How are you, Julie Roxanne? <laughs> Spending too much time in Britain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Everyone in England says hiya. I don't know if that's a new thing. I don't remember that from when I was younger, but everyone's saying hiya. Yeah, languages, languages evolve fast. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> it's nice to be back in France, where yes. I don't understand what people are saying. <laughs> <laughs> so, this week, we thought we'd talk about Dealing with the uncertainty of 2019. And this really started coming up for us over the holidays when we were doing our annual review. And we, we were taking a lot of walks. And it started to really show up during our walks. We'd take two-hour walks and we'd most of the time be kind of grappling with where we're going, what we're doing. Because you and I were both individually kind of doing our own reviews and like thinking about how the year had gone and mm. whatnot. And so we were starting to talk about that. And that's always a bit challenging because we're both different people and we're both changing. And so then we kind of have to come together and things are changing and we kind of have to negotiate that change between us before we can negotiate it with the rest of the world. Yeah. And I found this year particularly challenging. Mm. 
it kind of started, I think, with these walks and you bringing up some observations that were pretty, you know, saying like, hey, maybe we need to think about this. Maybe this, maybe we need to do that. And they were things I didn't really want to hear. They were important, but I was emotionally attached to certain outcomes. And you were saying, hey, maybe we need to rethink these outcomes and maybe we need to do things differently to reach our, our goals and whatnot. And those conversations are heated. Even though we're not like arguing with each other, there's a lot of emotion that comes up. Frustration, irritation, anger, fear, all, like all these things kind of come up. And so even though it was a friendly conversation, it was a pretty passionate one yeah. or a few pretty passionate ones. And I was feeling a little frustrated because I felt like you were saying, like you were kind of veering off what our plans were. And I think you were probably feeling a little frustrated because like, hey, maybe we need to change our plans. And so we had a few of these conversations that were pretty difficult. And I think another thing that happened was I started to do my review and I'm a big proponent of kind of facing the pain, looking at what's painful and, and really looking at it head on because I think pain motivates us to change. Mm. It's like when you put your hand on a hot pan, right? The pain makes you remove your hand. Mm -hmm. It helps you. Yeah, the pain hurts, but it's a beneficial outcome. Otherwise, you would damage your, your hand. Yeah. I think it's similar in a lot of areas of life. And so I'm not really a proponent of getting away from the pain a lot of times. I want to experience it because I think this, a lot of times in an unconscious way, can help me shift mm -hmm. when, when things are painful, if I look at it right on. And I started looking at a few of my goals that I'd set last year, even a couple of goals I set two years ago and reached I hadn't, and realized that I hadn't reached them. And I think the balloon kind of deflated like immediately, mm. even though last year was so great and it ended with us getting engaged. We built a caravan, did multiple projects. We started a travel company, just launched this podcast. It was great in a lot of ways, but there was some kind of almost silly goals yeah. that I had set for myself. And even though they weren't that important, when I look back on them and realize I didn't hit them, like something inside just... Yeah, yeah. And it was kind of uncontrollable, even though it felt kind of irrational. Mm. And that kicked off a good three-week-long depression. Yeah, I think three weeks is about right. And it just started with kind of a listlessness, like a meaninglessness. Like, I just, I, I didn't feel motivated anymore. I didn't know what we were doing it for. I couldn't really see where we were going. I couldn't see a plan. And yeah. I felt like the plan I had wasn't going to work. And it was just... Even though, like, it started from something specific, but then it became universal. Mm. And then it was like, okay, the whole thing is shit. And uh, what are we doing? Am I fooling myself? Am I out of touch? Mm. Like, are, are we going to, you know, is this going to work? Or do we have to do something radically different? And it's been really, really hard to be in that area. And I feel like it's only in the last couple of days that maybe I'm starting to get some perspective and starting to come back out of that valley. Well, you, you've, you've been coming back for longer than that. I think, like, there's not really... It's not like you're in the pit for three weeks and then you start climbing out. I think you started climbing out for for a while now, but it's just so slow. And it I, when you're in a depressed state, you can't really point to the time where you actually started climbing out. But I've I've seen it, like... It was, it was actually very, very 
a very strange combo when you were like in that depressed state because I was pretty ecstatic about life at that point, like more so than I've been in years, really. And and it was it was kind of interesting to see the differences and and to be in such different states and still like eh, allow each other to be where we are, basically. Like you didn't try to deflate my happiness and I didn't try to make you feel better we were just kind of trying to to meet each other the way we could so I was being a, a big bit of a goofball and just made you laugh even though like it, you laughed at the laugh of like why laugh there nothing has meaning you know? <laughs> <laughs> but it was nice Which to I, laugh once in a while and forget it yeah. even though it didn't make it go away yeah and yeah. I've really appreciated that you've been able to give me the space because I think something that is very hard when I'm in a depressed state is that I, I tend to think that depression is a, is useful, is mm -hmm. valuable. I've gone through pretty long periods of depression in the past. In my early 20s, I was probably chronically depressed even though I was never diagnosed for two years. Yeah. And I can see the value in that. And I can see that a lot of times I think if it's not a chemical thing and there are medical conditions and, and you got to get that checked out and make sure that it's not that. But I do think depression is a natural state. You know, we can't have highs without lows. It's, it's kind of a trite saying, but it's really true. If you, mm. a high wouldn't be a high without a low. It's, it's in relation to each other that it even has a, a any kind of meaning. And the lows tend to be maybe hard to go through, but I think they have their own value. They're very instructional. It's usually a time of removing things or, or letting go of things. But I think it's also a time to kind of wade through the chaos. I, I actually have been thinking about it a lot similarly to an acid trip mm. in a lot of ways where it's like, okay, you take acid and then there is a period at the peak where a lot of your concepts and structures stop making sense. You don't know why you wake up in the morning and go to bed at night. You don't know why you pee in that room over there instead of over here on the couch. Mm -hmm, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like none yeah, of, these things, none true. of these things make sense. You don't understand why the sun's going down yeah. sometimes. It's, yeah. it's that intense. And I felt like that. Like I didn't have meaning. I, I was grappling in the dark mm. for, for some sort of purpose and whatnot. And I think often when we're in those kind of states, the first reaction is like, oh, let me not feel this. Let me distract myself or let me take something that's going to alter my, my moods. So yeah. Coffee, alcohol, drugs, or let me watch TV, internet, whatever, go to parties. The numbing approach has a problem because when you numb one type of feeling, you're really just, numbing isn't specific, right? Mm. Like you numb everything. So you numb the good and the bad and it ends up stretching out the pain. So I've been in this period of kind of chaos, of kind of grappling with like, what are we doing? What does this mean? Why are we doing this? And just really not being able to find any motivation. And it's been hard to be with. I recognize that since we've gotten together, I've made a lot of adjustments around that. I think I've, I've learned with you to let that be a little bit more in myself and in you. And definitely can be attention. I know that when you're in those states, you crave a fair amount of alone time and, and that 
you know, like there's nothing to do to help you that you can help, you can help yourself. That the only thing to do is to let you have your space basically and to also be here whenever you need me. But most, most often you don't need me. Um, at least in not, not in the same ways than you, that you usually do. And so it's, it's always an interesting tension for me to navigate because I tend to show my love in very physical way and like I like to give hugs and be very present and be very like active and that like passive version of love of giving space is kind of hard for me to give although I am getting way better and this time around I didn't even think about it it was just kind of came out naturally so I feel like I'm just getting different skills of how to love people uh yeah and I think I think that passive love is really helpful because like an active love where if you're being touchy-feely it can be too invasive yeah and and i just want to recoil yeah uh either like physically sometimes like tighten up or move away like if you touch someone too quickly or emotionally like kind of do kind of a donkey kick yeah you yeah, know? yeah 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 and and these are these can both be obviously interpreted the wrong way it, it can scale up the drama and i do think they're it's an aspect of love that I experience a lot with you and with my family and I really appreciate, which mm -hmm. is that I'm allowed to be. Like, I'm not, it's not like, okay, well, you have to be in a positive mood to be here. It's like, okay, well, Alistair's in a mood, but everyone just does their thing. They know by now, because mm -hmm. I've been moody most of my life, but they know by now. It's like, okay, well, we're going to keep doing things and you know, you can just kind of float over there and be as involved as you want. And it works. It helps. I mean, it's, it's, I don't think there's really anything that can get me out of these. Really, what I think it is, is time. It's the same with like a, with an acid trip, right? Like you're freaking out in the middle of it. You go to the hospital and what are they going to do? Nothing. They're going to put you in a room and, and wait for you to, to regain your senses. Yeah, there's yeah. nothing else to do. Yeah. And in this kind of depression, which is not a chemical depression where there's something chronically imbalanced that, that needs to be addressed. I think that's the right approach is to just give it time and let it play through because what happens also on an acid trip is there's a, and I think this is linked to the creativity I experience on an acid trip is that when things start coming back, when the forms start reemerging, you get to play with them and put them back in different ways. Mm. And that's really fun. And also it can come to some pretty amazing insights, but you have to lose the old forms and structures for a while to be able to reimagine them, reinvent them, put them back together in different ways or, or, or throw them away. And I think in a way that's, it tends to feel like what's happening when I, when I go through these and I haven't had uh, one that long for years, I don't think. Yeah. And it's true. I mean, just the other day, we were in the car, uh, we had like a five hour trip back from Marseille to, to our caravan because uh, we had gone for the weekend. And I had kind of like a flash of insight and I was writing in my journal mm -hmm. for basically the whole five hours. Yeah. And some of it was, was really, really helpful. Like we, we, I made some progress thinking about things we're working on. Um, the business that we're, we're creating yeah. and, and these things. And it's been very, very helpful. And I see, I'm seeing it in ways I hadn't seen it before. And that's been really helpful, but I had to go, th I, I had to go through it. I kind of had to walk through the desert. Well, I think it's, uh, Scott Peck says that, that depression is like an, an essential component of change that you can't change if you don't go through depression. 
like you have to feel bad at some point because you have to lose you have to lose something to change it's kind of duh yeah. but it's <laughs> you have to let something die yeah and and mourning something that dies is always painful there's another aspect of this i think that came in is that we got engaged and although that's a time for celebration and it was we had a great celebration in my family and it was magical it was perfect it was mm. beyond i couldn't have imagined doing it in such a way that would be so great mm -hmm. but at the end of that there i think there was a part of me is like that was well there is there was a part of me that was dying yeah it's like okay well alistair as an individual i mean i even going into a marriage we're still individuals and i think we'll still think about it in that way yeah. in a lot but there i mean i was saying goodbye to a history or to i was going into a new phase of life and i think although i wasn't thinking about that a lot consciously mm -hmm. i suspect that had a really big impact also in 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 putting me in this kind of depression it was like it's a major stage of life and something was being is being left behind Yeah, and I was already sort of feeling that when we recorded our episode about getting engaged. If you haven't checked it out, you should. Where we we talked about the spiritual aspect. And I remember when we were preparing for that episode, you were like, well, I don't, okay, if you want to say stuff about this, you can, but I'm not, there's not much that's coming to mind at the moment. And I was I was already feeling that, this this kind of, oh man, there's something that's dying because life as i know it is dying like this is a big step and it's it's uh it's good and moving and i it, and it and as much as i would want to pretend like it's not going to change anything it is obviously going to change something and you spent a week more in england than me so is here on my own for a week and uh i tend to think of that week as my bachelorette party i was just by myself <laughs> nursing like just just nursing myself like my old self letting it die and it's it was it was beautiful it was beautiful man i wonder if anyone else would think of their bat think of being in a caravan by themselves in the woods for a week <laughs> as a bachelorette party well the thing is okay <laughs> bachelorette party doesn't work in french we call the bachelorette party enterrement de vie de jeune fille which means the burying of your maiden life mm. Which is what I mean when I say bachelorette party. Because if it's about putting on fake hats and 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 t-shirts and getting drunk with your homies, that's just not what I'm talking about. Oh, but that's we we have different ideas of bachelor. <laughs> <laughs> no, but this it felt like the burial of my maiden life to be mm. by myself and to to really connect with myself on my own. Really felt like that. <laughs> We're in the middle of winter right now in the forest, and we see it all around us that something has to die for something else to grow. Yeah. And I think it's really helpful to think about it as space. Something that's new in order to grow needs space to grow into. Mm -hmm. And the more space it has, the more it can grow. If you see there's certain plants, if they don't have a lot of space, there's bushes out here. And if they're planted right next to each other, they don't grow. They grow kind of tall, but they don't grow outwards. Yeah, right? yeah. And... But then if you plant that same bush somewhere else where it's by itself, it becomes a huge bush mm -hmm. on its own. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, we see the logs that fall over, like trees that died, and now the mushrooms are growing out of them, and the ferns that have died. And But everything out here is competing for space. And until something else dies, one of those trees that gives up some of the sunlight from the canopy, nothing else can grow underneath it. I think this is why, to some extent, even though it is really hard to spend... 
24-7 with someone who is going through a sort of a depression of some sort, there were parts of me that wanted to kind of shake you and be like, dude, come on, let's just get out of this. Life is fun, you know? But I think parts of me also recognized that you needed to go through that and that it was a positive thing in the end. One thing that really helped me through it, and this is something I think I've really, it's taken me probably the last, most of my life to learn, but definitely the last decade, mm -hmm. which is just simple habits. And just, I think one of the ways I'm able to give space for these kind of difficult feelings and the kind of grappling that goes on existentially, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, is just anchoring myself to simple habits. Just doing the basic things and knowing that I'm taking care of myself and not making it worse. And so one thing I, I do kind of instinctively now is I stop drinking caffeine or I lower it very very much. Same with alcohol. And I started taking walks outside for hours each day. I read when I can. I can't always read though because I get up in my head and it's hard to read. And sometimes other people's thoughts aren't helpful. I was taking hot baths almost every day at, at one point and eating healthy and moderately. I'm not eating too much because if I'm giving my system a lot of energy when I'm not doing very much, it tends to come out as anxiety. Uh, so I, I'm realizing that I have to be careful how much I eat if I'm not doing a lot of activity and, and lower it a little bit because it, it can not help. Drinking a lot of water is another one. I like to think I'm, I've, I'm definitely getting better at doing those things and they feel really good and nurturing no matter what mood I'm in. And you had said something like that to me, and this is where I derive this from, but I think about it as like taking care of a toddler. Like when your child is two or three, this is like the big age where they are just getting in touch with emotions as like really human beings and like emotions conflicting with the real world. And Every kind of like child rearing book will tell you that it's good for kids like that to have like a structure, to have routines that they can fall back onto. And that's exactly what I feel like I'm doing for myself. When I sense that something's happening, I know that I have like kind of routines built into my days, but that I also have like emergency self cares for when I'm feeling particularly bad. Like I'm, experiencing a lot of like flashes of anger right now and and that is very helpful to know that I have that kind of safe space that I create where I nurture myself like I would a, a, a crying toddler or someone like a, a really young child who's struggling with making sense and and to just like go through the wave of emotion and there will be a time to analyze it or understand it on a more conscious level later yeah i i like that now I, i like that metaphor of taking care of a toddler because i think it also what do we do when we take care of a toddler we're kind mm -hmm. because we know that to some extent it's not his fault or her fault and you know we're, and we're also patient and i think these are probably two of the virtues that are the hardest to practice because Here I am, New Year, and I'm just paralyzed. And I'm, I feel like I'm losing time. You know mm. what I mean? Like, I'm not making any steps toward anything. I have, like, we had a good space where we had time to work on things and I couldn't do it. And 
it's sometimes it's really hard. The productive side of me is like, come on, like this is an opportunity to work on things and you're just, you know, it's Tuesday and you're just slogging off, mm. you know, and it's easy to be mean to myself. Yeah. And so those are two habits that are always helpful, but are particularly helpful in these times. And I have to, I have to write them down and like physically, like just uh, explicitly remind myself. In fact, it's part of my meditation practice and and uh, it's written on the ring that I gave you for engagement. Yeah. Be kind. Yeah. Sounds simple, but it's actually really hard. It's really hard. But I do think thinking about it as a toddler really helps because like, if I think about the voice inside my head or the emotions that, that I'm feeling as a, as a child, it can help instruct me on how to behave with myself. And that is helpful. I think one other thing you said that is interesting, I'm going to take this a little bit back to my acid trip metaphor, is that it's these, these habits are structures. And that's really helpful also when you're dealing with an unstructured period, yes, yes. when you're dealing with a lot of chaos and whatnot, having some external structures that you know you can rely on or that you knew in a past time that you could rely on. So you're just going to right now because who cares and nothing makes sense and means yeah, anything. Yeah. That's really helpful. It gives you something. So you're not just completely lost at sea. At least you have a, a, a life raft to, yeah. to hang on to. And that's really what it is, I think, is a lifeline during those periods. And just just kind of having faith like, okay, this too will change. Let me, as best I can, uh, accept it. I don't have to welcome it. I'm not at the point. I'm not a guru or... or I'm not a yogi yet where I can just welcome and be like, oh, yeah, depression, just come on in. Let's, let's have tea. <laughs> I'm not there. <laughs> but I am getting better at accepting and being like, okay, all right, depression, you're here. Well, all right, sit down if you want. What <laughs> if you, you must. I'll give you some water. <laughs> so I, I'm getting better at it. I think it's important what you said about having faith that it will come back or having faith that it will change because that's the trick in the beginning of thinking like this around depression is you don't have faith in the beginning <laughs> or at least you can have faith but it's been it's not been proven so it's really hard in the beginning and it's only after you do like a couple of times of it that like the neural 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 pathways get carved again and you understand that oh yeah last time i went through this i did exactly this and i came out a better person and i came out like happier and I came out more whole and more authentic and more myself or whatever and I think it's 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 that beginning phase of not of ha wanting to have faith but not really have it being proven this that's really hard it's an experiential knowledge yes you, and and I think that's very true if you've never gone through a tunnel before and you go into a tunnel it just feels like a cave, like a black pit, you know? <laughs> and until you've gone through a couple of tunnels and come out the other side and realize, oh, okay, it's a, it's a tunnel. They, they have a beginning and an end. Yeah. It, it doesn't feel like that. <laughs> and I think this is, this has been very true. And it's one of the reasons why I actually think, you know, I wouldn't, I'm not sure I would wish depression on anybody, but I think having been chronically depressed for two years of my life was one of the most valuable experiences I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And I can see now how it shaped the rest of me. It gave me a depth I didn't have before. And it really, and it also gave me a level of compassion 
that mm. I didn't have before for others and realizing just the internal states that people can be experiencing in their everyday life. And I think there's a, there's a quote by Ian McLaren and he says, be kind for everyone is fighting a hard battle. Mm. And I come back to this all the time. I, I think it's so true. We never know what anyone's going through. And I think for me, I really realized that when I went through a really dark period for my first time and realized, Oh, geez. I mean, it just gives you a lot of compassion for where other people might be coming from and, and, and the, the, the suffering that people can experience. Yeah. And I think that goes hand in hand with the saying, I can't remember his name, Ezra. Ezra Beta. Ezra Beta. Yeah. I thought that that's what it was. He was your meditation teacher in San Diego and he's written a book. And in this book, he says, you can never be kind until you've experienced your own unkindness. Mm. And it's so true that it's only, it's only when, it's only when you really experience those things that you can develop more compassion and kindness. I, I, I think that, although when I'm in those moods, I don't, but it's, it's a good reminder every so often because it's easy to forget that it, it, it is hard and getting depression every so often, like going through depressed states, which is something I'm, I'm prone to is helpful in that way because I have more compassion for where people are. But it involves, in order to grow out, to, to grow from it, it involves having the space to be with it and look at it. Not necessarily like try to analyze it and go too in-depth at in the moment, but really like observing it, looking at it in the eye instead of looking away, which is something I used to do a lot. You can almost think about it as like, okay, well, how do I want people to, to treat me when I'm feeling depressed? That's how I should probably treat my depression. Mm -hmm. it, and what I mean by that is, you know, I think we've all been in those tough states and then you go somewhere where, you know, someone tells you, just think positive. Jeez. You know, <laughs> like you just... <laughs> it just nothing, doesn't work. Nothing worse. It's like you're... And, and what really is being said is, I'm not going to make room for how you're feeling it's, it's kind of a reflection it's like no i'm not gonna have that yeah and yeah. it feels shitty yeah. it feels terrible and you don't want to be around people like that when you're feeling like that mm -hmm. and the other person can you know i think the the benefit of that is like the other person can go away unscathed right if you do the positive thinking armor you can be not touched by someone else's suffering yes and and i guess that has some that that has benefits at certain times but it's not I think this comes back to it, it's not love. That's that's a that's a rejection mm -hmm. of something. And I think we're talking about self-love here. How do I let this be as it, I would like to be let be? Mm. And that's a helpful way to think about it. And it's really only, you know, I'm 31 now, but it's really only now that I'm starting to really have the experienced understanding of how simple habits can help me through these periods and how just taking it a bit slower, being kind, being gentle, and taking care of myself and being a friend to myself, mm. really how that, that can help. I spent a lot of my 20s, I think, running from these feelings and, and there's so many ways to distract yourself or, or, just, or just kind of forcibly change the feeling and you always end up coming back like it ends up coming back twice as hard right if yeah. you don't listen to something it, it over time it's going to get worse the other thing that happens 
is that, and this happened to me, is that not listening to these feelings then become manifested as diseases in the body very often. So if a depression or very difficult emotions, not just not just depression, but anger, fear, these things, if we don't make space for them, they will make their own space in our bodies. Hmm. Yeah, I spent a lot of time fighting my depression. Like not 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 only not looking at it, but beating myself for being in, in those moods. And if you go back if we go back to the toddler analogy, that's pretty awful. It's like you have a toddler who's going through something really intense that it doesn't he or she doesn't really understand. And instead of like making space to hold them in your arm and give them loving kindness, you kick them. And you kick them over and over until that until they're better. Which Sadly, this is what this is what a lot of parenting styles do. <laughs> yeah, or you tell them it's their fault, or that they're just inherently flawed. Yes, right? yes, yes. There's a lot of ways to kick. Yeah, there. Yeah, there is a lot of ways to kick, and I think uh, it's been a it's been a great journey since meeting you, and already before that, but definitely more since meeting you to to learn to make space for those moods and uh, and to learn all the ways I can care for myself for you. And I remember the first time you told me that one of the ways I could show love to you was leave you alone. I was baffled. I was like, baffled. <laughs> I, I remember exactly where we were when you told me this. And I was like, wait, what? That's an option? I didn't know this. And this has been something really profound and changing, life-changing for myself too. Because sometimes all I need to do is leave myself alone. And I think... in. I've seen you be able to ask to be alone too. Yeah. And that's, that is, that has been really nice too, because I don't think I realized that I wanted that sometimes. There's some times where I know better how to care for myself than you do, because it's hard for me to communicate them in a, in a way where you can understand. Sometimes it's nice to have a relationship with myself, if that makes, you know, like to give that the priority. And I think that's what you did. And you knew how to nurture yourself and, you're, uh, you're slowly coming out of this and it feels like you're coming out with a lot of insights. I'm sure that there's going to be a lot more to come. 2019 is going to be good. I hope so. I think this is a good place to stop. Yeah, let's stop. Hey, everyone. Outro. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Okay. Hey there. No. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was impromptu, but we really enjoyed it. It was a good conversation. I'm glad we had it. If you'd like to support the podcast, and we would love your support, you can give us a review on iTunes. That helps us grow. And we also have a new donate button on thefaroutpodcast.com. It's a dollar sign. And if you click on that, you can also send us a donation. That helps us buy better mics, like the one you're listening to. Yeah. Another way that you can help us is to share this with your friends. Email or on social media, anything helps. So if you think it's a good conversation worth listening to, please send it to a friend. If you think it can help anyone, because I think it could. That's love. We'd love to hear what you think about this conversation. So contact us. 
You can do so via email at host at thefaralpodcast.com or you can leave a comment on this episode's page on thefaralpodcast.com. We'll meet you back here next week. Toodles. Ciao. Whoa, that was new. Yeah, you're right. I don't even know if I like it. <laughs> Hold on. Let's... Stop. It's done. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> and we'll meet you back here next week. Toodles. Toodles. Toodles.